Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has contributed to our Gaza fundraiser. It's been really uplifting and heartwarming to see so many people chipping in and to get to see the impact it's had on the people in tents in Rafa who are struggling under the most horrendous of situations. And just to see the, the little handwritten notes thanking our listeners for the support and what it means to people in Gaza. I can't thank you all enough. But as awkward as that is, I do need to ask you to help keep this show on the road. The only way we keep going is if you click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It is at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. We've no ads. We've no sponsors. We need you to chip in, pay it forward and keep the show on the road. The five quid you're giving us helps us carve out the space we need to continue to have conversations that you don't hear enough of in much of the mainstream and to do the activism that really matters. So come on board, join our little community, and help keep the show on the road. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and I'm delighted to be joined back on the podcast by a guest we had before who, whose podcast was really um, got a great reaction and people were hugely interested in it, and it is none other than the very esteemed Professor Kieran McQuinn, research professor with the ESRI. Kieran, it's great to have you back again. Thanks, Rory. Thanks very much. Thanks for the invitation. We're we're looking forward to a discussion on you've another paper out on housing and the SRI but doing a lot of work around housing, um. But this one is very interesting and, and it got some attention. But I think um, there's a bit more into it we could delve into than go to go a bit beyond the headlines that it got when it was released. Um, and the paper is contrasting housing supply in Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the rest of the United Kingdom. And yourself and a number of other researchers in the SRI produced it. Maybe you could kind of take us through, when you were looking at it, what kind of surprised you in in looking at it? Because you know housing very well here and, you know, in terms of, I suppose, yeah, what surprised you in the difference between Ireland and Northern Ireland and the other parts of the UK, which were looking at Wales and Scotland as well and England? Yeah, well, first, first to say, I suppose, is, is that the work was funded, uh, just to acknowledge, by the Shared Island Unit in the, the Department of Antioch. And, and we obviously, we've had a research uh, program with them now for a number of years, looking at different issues on an all-Ireland kind of basis. And, and yeah. basically just trying to see what can we learn or what are the similarities, what are the differences. And, you know, if there is anything to positive to be gained in terms of greater collaboration and cooperation mm. across the island. So it, that that's the background. And we've done a number of studies in, I think, in health and in FDI, uh, education. And so housing uh, was an area that they expressed an interest in just over around 13, 14 months ago. And that was the background for the work. So I think you know it's always very important, I suppose, to benchmark, uh, y- you know, a country's progress in a particular area because, you know, the danger is you become very insular in looking at a particular issue and think that, you know, we're the only ones who have a problem or, mm. you know, we have it cracked or, um, you know, issues are, are specific or unique to us. Um, and it's always important just to look abroad and look around and, you know, in terms of 
your nearest um, uh, nearest countries to us, um, and then possibly even to look further afield in terms of where do we actually stand on issues and 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 you know how do we stand generally, and then you know where can we can, where can we learn from other countries and have other countries, for example, made. Uh, similar mistakes or similar, uh, yeah. you know, suffered from similar policy issues as what we may have in the Irish market. So that was the basic, uh, I suppose, mandate given to us in, in conducting the study. And, and the Shared Island Unit, I mean, usually the kind of research or work that we do tends to be quite focused and specific in a particular area. This uh, time around, they were uh, interested in us being very broad, you know, to take a broad overview of the the, the, the housing housing supply generally. And in general, we're not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of doing that. You know, you prefer to get into a particular area so that you can really narrow down. But it was actually beneficial to take a broader view and perspective. And so as a result, we looked at various different issues. So we looked at, um, you know, what we call soft costs. These are issues around regulatory issues, land use um, issues, environmental standards, uh, etc., um, planning issues. And these would be the soft costs in terms of producing housing. housing. What are the the costs yeah. of housing? Exactly. It, essentially, but the whole the, process. The, the soft that that's the, the they're the soft costs. Then the hard costs are things like labor and uh, materials, etc. Um, and of course, the other element that we uh, threw into the bargain was finance, financing mm. costs. And yeah. How easy is it to get finance or get credit? And where do we stand compared to other uh, to the other countries? So I think what struck us was, um, you know, obviously housing supply is a big issue here. We all know that. Um, but funnily enough, the, the kind of supply levels in Ireland seem to, uh, in 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 the very recent past, seem to stack up quite favourably compared to some of the, uh, you know, to those particularly in 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 England and Wales. I think Scotland, Northern Ireland are pretty similar to us. But, um, you know, so we stack up reasonably well there, but I guess there is a difference in terms of demand. And that's one of the big differences, I suppose, between our economy and, for instance, the economy in Northern Ireland, the economy in, in the rest of the UK, is that those economies are relatively stagnant, have yeah. been for a period of time, and Brexit probably has exacerbated that. Whereas the Irish economy, um, you know, after we had that massive uh, decline uh, due to the financial crisis, it really has been growing very, very strongly since then. And that leads to, of course, a very, very strong demand uh, for housing. So that's one kind of crucial difference, I think, between between us. The other uh, issue, I suppose, which really struck out, and just mentioned it there, is the financial crisis and the lingering effect of the financial crisis and I said it even when I was presenting it on the day that it may seem strange to people that we're still talking about something which happened 15, 16 years ago now at this stage. Yeah. But there's no doubt it's cast a very, very long shadow really on housing markets and not just in Ireland and the UK, but in fact across Western Europe. And that's been acknowledged by a number of commentators. But in Ireland, it's been particularly influential Um you know, because of the scale of the crisis and because of the scale of its impact first day, uh, it really has cast a very long shadow. So as a result, you know, our supply levels fell off completely. And we had, you know, five or six years really after the financial crisis where our supply levels were almost rock bottom, very, very low, hardly any supply in the market whatsoever. And as I said, whilst the numbers are reasonably favourable in the last few years compared to the other countries, 
you know, there still is the issue that there's this huge backlog, I suppose, which yeah. has built up over the last 10, 12 years. Um, so, you know, th- th- those are two of the big issues that, that, that struck us really was the, the, the effect of the, the global financial crisis, although particularly pronounced in Ireland's case, it also, you know, has had an impact in, in the rest of, uh, in, in, in Northern Ireland, the rest of the UK. Um, and um, the the other factor, I suppose, which struck us in terms of looking at longer term trends over the period, is the declining role of you know state uh, provided housing, if you want to pull it in, in general terms, you know. And this is something which you see, and we we presented some graphs and charts on the day to show, really, even going back to the early nineteen seventies, that the quite dramatic fall off in the amount of social and affordable housing. It would have been social housing back then, I suppose. That was provided by the state, and and that's a common trend across uh, the Irish and UK housing markets, um, really over the last um, you know the last thirty or forty years. So those are kind of the big, I suppose, big headline uh, issues uh, and big headline kind of um, uh, the 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 issues which really struck us uh, about the housing markets. Um, they're they're quite similar in in you know in terms of even in the way the processes work. Yeah. Across the markets, there isn't any huge great differences. You have this idea of a kind of a national plan, and these, of course, these plans have become more more popular in recent years, and that's in response to the fact that supply has fallen off so much. But you have these big plans of where you know the kind of structural demand for housing is established, um, and then that's fed down to local authorities. They have their development plans. Um, and that tends to be a common kind of uh, approach across the different markets. But there are some differences within that, you know. Um, one of the differences that we noticed and one area where we felt the domestic market could learn from, uh, for example, is in the way in which some of the English and UK authorities seek to get greater buy-in from from locals yeah. in terms of the development plans. I think that's important because... Hopefully, if that were to, you know, if we were to see greater buy-in at the outset in terms of the development plans that are formulated by local authorities, it would, you know, should reduce the amount of objections that you have and achieve, you know, this nirvana of greater efficiency in our planning process, which, of course, you know, um, is, is, is a big issue. So that was one coherent, you know, one practical example, we thought, where the domestic market could learn from, you know, the the, the other UK markets. Yeah, um, I think that it was, you know, that's a very interesting one in terms of engaging people within planning, because we have, you know, we're having the, you know, this new legislation going through, and there's debates around that, and there's the whole question of, you know, planning holdups and planning objections. And I think that that's a very important area, that, that it's not so much about reducing participation, but actually increasing it um, and finding, but, you know, in different ways, to, to, as you say, to get this kind of public buy-in into plans. And I think that was very interesting. There was a number of things when I read it, and I, well, really recommend people to have a read. It, it is a very important paper, I think, um, and a very important piece of research, which I think, you know, when you draw that conclusion that you're saying, which I, I kind of took a number of things. One was the point you made about this long-term decline in the role of the state in providing housing. And essentially, like, you know, I've made that point and, you know, myself and other scholars have made the point, you know, in critiquing this neoliberal policy tra- tra- trajectory, 
which has essentially been that idea that the market and promoting home ownership and that the you know the state essentially which policy said back probably really you know there was different points at which it said it like you know the early 2000s it was the shift to the part 5 planning to get social housing the idea was local authorities would no longer directly you know deliver social housing then it took another turn in 2011 when they said we'll no longer build big social housing estates it's the shift to the private rental sector to source social housing and essentially what you know your paper as far as i could see is saying look that that policy decision was a mistake and and that that has been a significant factor in why we have this problem of undersupply and the housing crisis we're in yeah yeah i mean there's no doubt uh, that the withdrawal by the state um uh, over the la- oh yeah you know, and uh, on a gradual basis i mean you know you, you've outlined there some of the specific i suppose policy uh, measures which would have uh, signaled it but it's it, you know it's interesting that it was something that was common across all of the kind of housing yeah. markets that we looked at you know this withdrawal of the state and reduced role of the state and indeed it's probably something that's more common even generally across Europe. Uh, in actual fact, it's probably become even more pronounced across Europe um, in the sense, and again, it goes back to the financial crisis that, um, you know, after the financial crisis, obviously a, a number of states were in, you know, fisc- had fiscal difficulties and fiscal issues, etc. And of course, the first thing that governments tend to do in those circumstances is they tend to reduce capital expenditure uh, to try and balance the books, and in particular areas like housing, tends to be targeted as a result. So, it's funny that trend that was there in Ireland and the UK in terms of reduced government involvement. It's become a more kind of almost a more European wide trend, particularly yeah. since two thousand and you know eleven, twelve, um, because of the financial crisis and. It's it it you know it just leads to huge difficulties really over time. Um, yeah. You know, and, and we we obviously see them. I think the, the basic issue, um, you know, and we've always felt this here, is that if you want a certain amount of social and affordable housing in built in the state, um, you, you know, the government needs to be providing it. Um, that's that's just a, a basic tenant, I think, at this stage. Um, and how much they provide, of course, is a different issue. And you know, you've got to, you, you know, there's lots of. Uh, different issues or parameters around that in terms of of how much the state can afford to do it, etc. But nonetheless, I think you you know it is a it, it's a principle that does emerge loud loud and clear. I think from our comparison, um, and I think you know it's underscored by work we've done ourselves, even on, on just focusing on the Irish market. It's also, I suppose, it's particularly heightened at present. I think because. Um, Again, going back to the financial crisis, because you've had the collapse in supply that occurred after that, but then because you've had these changes in the financial sector yeah, in response to the crisis. So, you know, if you think of it in practical terms, uh, developers um, and those on the supply side of the, the, the housing market were able to access debt finance to a certain level um, in the run-up to the financial crisis during the Celtic Tiger era. And, you know, figures vary, but, you know, they could secure maybe in terms of the overall spend in a project, could be anything to 70, 80% of their finance could be accessed to, to debt finance in terms of standard bank loans, et cetera. That's changed considerably now. And, you know, it's for the better. We have a more robust financial sector as a result. 
But now, you know, people say it's more in the region of 50-60% of their finance comes from debt finance, which means they have to secure other finance uh, yeah. if they're going to, to build. And so that's had a, an impact, you know, in terms of restraining or constraining the private sector on its own, uh, its ability to kind of meet the demand that's there as well. And again, that goes back to the lingering effects of the financial crisis and also the fact that the crisis has had a particular impact on the Irish financial sector uh, because of all the difficulties that we got into it. So, you know, without getting too technical, it goes into capital ratios that are still quite high uh, as far as Irish financial institutions are concerned because, you know, we're carrying quite a lot of, um, you know, impaired loans, if you like, on their balance sheet. So there's a lot of kind of, the, the, the crisis really has its tentacles in the housing market in a number of ways. Um, but, you and, know... And, it, and that's it, where it, we've seen that argument from you know, policy and go- and government that we need a significant amount of global institutional investment because we have this changed housing market in Ireland where, as you say, the, the domestic financial institutions are not lending in the same way that they did in the past for um, development and, and building of housing. And I think part of the... That in terms, I think that is hugely problematic and has been hugely problematic. And we need to look at different ways of providing finance. And on the one hand, you, you know, and we've seen examples um, recently done by Housing Europe, for example, of introducing, you know, essentially a housing finance bank in Ireland along the lines of the French and Danish models um, that would provide finance for SME private builders and um, also then developers and builders, but also then I think the, the wider question that, that you raise in the report is, well, it means the state actually has to step in even more right now because there's this changed um, credit environment in Ireland. And this is part of it. And the question, you know, you, you made the, the point in your paper, I think it was about a year ago, a year and a half ago, when you said that, you know, the state had the capacity and should be, investing up to it was you know over i think it was close to seven billion you were saying per year potentially in housing and that the public sector could play this role of crowding in investment but we haven't really seen that policy been taken on i think in government and maybe you could say you know is there more capacity and should we be doing more at a government level in terms of investment in housing yeah i i think just to go back to the the whole role play by institutional investors, I, I, we probably would have a slight disagreement there. I, I yeah. do think we've got to be very wary about you know um, shunning any you know or, or closing off any certain types of credit really at this point in time, such as the you know the the volume of housing that's needed. I think you know obviously there's been issues with institutional investors coming in and whether it's buying up whole apartment complexes or whatever. I mean, obviously you need to measures in place to ensure that doesn't occur. But I, I do think they have a role to play, albeit, you know, in, in, to, to a certain extent. I think in terms of the broader issue, though, and I, I do think there is scope there for crowding, crowding in, as we call it, such that, you know, the state can uh, facilitate greater private sector involvement in the market. There are some examples of it, um, you know, if you look at, for instance, the the, the LDA at present, is involved in some schemes whereby, I mean, their mandate initially is to, um, is obviously to build on state land and to build directly, which they are doing, albeit some people would think it would be great if it was faster and coming on stream quicker, etc. 
But they have initiated certain policies recently whereby they have tried to activate some of the planning permissions that are have been granted but haven't been acted upon. Um, you know, and, and the question or, or the, the claim has been made that it's a lack of credit as far as the these developers are concerned. So they have kind of gone in and with, with developers and provided finance to developers. So there's clearly some uh, scope there or, or, you know, it's already been been uh, been adopted in principle, as it were, or in practice. So, you know, there, there, there is scope for more. I think in terms of the amount that the state could involve, I think the, the, the only issue you're, you're beginning to get into then, and this was obviously something that we looked at in another study, is the issue around capacity constraints. Yeah. You know, so spending a lot of money is is is, is sure, and we, we need to spend a lot of money on housing, and, and the budget, to be fair, has gone up quite a bit in recent years. The danger, though, is that um, if, if the resources aren't in place, that you'll have a lot of money chasing existing resources, and, and the danger then is that you're only going to bid up the cost of whether it's labor or, or materials, etc. So that's something that has to be concerned or you know looked at as well, because clearly, you know, to increase the scale of production that we need to do, or to the extent that we need to do, it will require quite a bit of you know increase in 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 the amount of people working in the construction sector. Or, or maybe not quite as much as people think, because you could have a shift from, we'll say, office construction, uh, which you are seeing a slowdown in, uh, coming into residential construction. But you, you still will need some increase. Um, but there are longer term issues as well. We didn't quite get into that in the report, but the more we looked at it, the more we were kind of pointed down this direction. And this is something more generally, I think, which is kind of an interesting policy issue that we've been coming up against more and more in recent times. Is, is the nature of our educational system and the kind of people that we produce, if you like, and, and the kind of talents that we and skill base that we produce across the economy generally, you know, we, we just possibly don't put the same value on the basic trades, whether it's um, plumbers, carpenters, tradesmen, etc., that we do in, in terms of other careers in, in, in Irish society. And again, that's something we probably need to look at going forward, you know, if we are to kind of meet, meet the challenges the construction challenges that are there because they're not just there in terms of increasing housing supply. We've got significant, obviously, climate change challenges as yeah. well in housing. You know, we've got to, um, uh, you know, um, refit up to, was it, 500,000 houses by by the end of the decade. So there's substantial challenges there that will need, you know, uh, an increase in, in, in resources. And that's something that I think from a policymaker's perspective, we have to be very much focused on now if we are going to kind of scale up to the extent that we need to do. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and just to come back on the institutional investors, because I think we would agree, disagree in terms of uh, the emphasis on that. And, and I think there are issues that need to be, that, like, you know, I've highlighted that need to be looked at, particularly the type of supply, you know, that the, the rents that are being charged in this new supply and there are real issues with that, particularly when we're starting to see a concentration of, in certain parts of Dublin, for example, of these very expensive um, build-to-rent units and the fact that they are all rental, do you know what I mean, build-to-rent. And there's whole issues around, you know, community building and, you know, having some level of supply that people can buy within them. Um, but I do think there are wider issues as well, as, as I've pointed out before, around, you know, it's not just that they have provided a supply and they have been very dominant in their market. They've bought a huge amount of land that adds in itself an inflationary pressure into the market, which you talk about that whole issue of land 
and land speculation and that institutional investment has no doubt played a role. And, and you talk to affordable housing providers and they will talk about that being outbid, for example, in trying to buy land. So I think that this question of institutional investors and their role needs to be considered on a more broader level, um, particularly their dominance. And that's, I think, the big issue that they're so dominant now. Yeah, you see, I think the, the, the problem is you're coming from such a low base in terms of overall supply. Yeah. That's why they, they are so dominant. No, I think you're, you're on the land, I, you know, we, we strongly agree in terms of that we, and that was something we mentioned in the uh, in the report, actually, uh, as a common finding across all markets was the need for greater regulation of land markets, you know, yeah. um, because there's no doubt, you know, you hear a lot of discussion about the, the government targeting the cost of housing. It's very hard for the government to specifically target you know, the different elements of costs, if you think of it in terms of hard costs, you know, even labor, it's, you know, okay, can bring in measures to try and bring in more and more, uh, more and more workers. But in terms of the, the, the hard costs, in terms of the materials, etc., there's very little the government can do to control those things. But the one area the government can have some control over, our policy can have a, a considerable control over, is the land costs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're doing some work looking at land costs at the moment, I mean, one of the big issues we have, of course, with land costs is we don't have an official data series on land costs, but we are doing some work where we're trying to proxy them. Um, but, you know, if you take the SCSI data in terms of how much it costs to build a house, typically land costs are somewhere between 15 and 20% of, of, of building a house. So that's a sizable component. And if the government was to, if there was greater regulation of land markets, I think you, you could see that cost element come down quite a bit. So it is one area where the government can have an impact. So I certainly w- would agree with that. And as I said, that's something that's common across all the different markets that we looked at in the, in the study. Yeah, and, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. We need that, that um, your proposal in terms of the land price register um, and, you know, that to make that public. And, and there, you know, when it goes back to, you know, the Kenny report was what year? 1972? is it? Or 1972 is it around then? Yeah. Early 1970s. And that, you know, recommended the the state should purchase um, non-developed land at agricultural or use value plus 10%. Or 10%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, other countries, and there's lots of countries that the state does play that role. And I think what's interesting about the Land Development Agency is that in a way that was clearly was some level of thinking in its introduction that, you know, and informed by NESC's proposals and, you know, in your own work, that we need to have some way of aggregating land because it is a core, not just a core input cost. The other issue is it also determines the pace of development. If you don't have access to land and, um, you know, land being used to build housing uh, and development then you know you're you're not having anything going on that because it's not just the price of land because we see lots of land we know there's 70 80,000 planning units with planning permission that are just sitting there and you know we know the LDA are buying some of those and that's a a positive but the question then is are they buying it at market value which then has to be inputted into the cost rents that are built and then we're seeing now cost rents being really high and that it's like again it's rather than taking what essentially what you're talking about is using land to reduce the cost of housing, that we're still not doing that with the state's levers and state's tools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, obviously there's been um, 
you know, they have introduced the, the, the taxation measures recently to kind of target speculation, et cetera. And, and we would fully endorse that, although, albeit, you know, when they typically introduce those kind of taxation measures, uh, tax rates, they tend to introduce them at quite a low rate. So it may yeah. well be that they need to increase the rate in order to bring it on stream. I think there's a, there is a broader issue as well as far as land use is concerned, which, uh, and this is something that would slightly concern me, um, is if you think of it from the public perspective, uh, so w- we're now going back into a, a, a model uh, where we're encouraging the local authorities to get back into the housing market. And, you know, by and large, that's a good thing, although I do think there is issues, and we, we do raise it in the report about, you know, we've 31 local authorities. Yeah. We really want all of them doing, duplicating and doing the same thing, as it were. So I'd be a little bit concerned about that, but y- you are pushing the local authorities back into the housing uh, realm. Um, you now have, of course, the approved housing bodies and you have the LDA. So you have three kind of different wings of the state involved in getting back into the housing market. The way it's kind of worked up until now, as I understand it, is that the local authorities have basically kind of provided land to the likes of the AHBs and in some cases maybe to the LDA. Um, but now if the local authorities themselves are developing and getting back into it, the, the one thing you don't want to see is competition between yeah. state agents driving up, up the, land price, the price prices. of land, Yeah, you yeah. know, and the availability of it. So that that is something that I would be a little bit concerned of, that, you know, and that there's always well, a it, danger. It's, it's a similar concern to the, the way we're sourcing a lot of our new social housing now is buying it from developers in the markets and you know i've heard there's actually been competition between ahbs over you know <coughs> buying that which adds to prices and between local authorities so there are real issues there in how we we source our housing and, and well there is because the danger is you see when you have a you know when there is such political impetus behind an issue as there is obviously behind increasing housing supply the danger is that you know, it almost becomes scattergun and yeah. everybody's told, go off and do it. And, you know, we, we just get as much housing or buy as much housing or produce as much housing. But you you, you can have situations like that where you have state agents um, competing with each other uh, for, you know, the basic, uh, the, 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 you know, like something like land, um, which ultimately would have the effect of driving up the cost of it and the price of it. So we, yeah. I think, and, and as I said, I think, Somebody needs to stand back a little bit and evaluate, do we really want each and every one of the local authorities themselves, you know, because I've talked to some of the, the local authorities kind of off the record um, over the years and, you know, they, 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 quite often they don't have the resources yeah. to really scale up in these areas, you know. Uh, so absolute, uh, Absolutely. And that question, of course, that again, when you talk about the long impact of the financial crisis, people don't talk enough about the long impact of this shift away from public housing and austerity, which essentially gutted local authorities of their capacity to deliver, and they shifted to outsourcing. So the basic, you know, professions that you require to plan housing, develop it, manage it, and um, progress it have been lost from local authorities. And then local authorities have been told, okay, now you're back in housing. But there's also a lot of scepticism within local authorities. Oh, how long is this now? policy turn back to social housing going to last for um and i'd be interested to know because yeah. to the question of capacity you know you're probably familiar whether you are or not but i've made the proposal um of a you know a national building agency that would have some um direct construction 
expertise that would essentially, in a way like we had the ESB, um, that would develop over time the public capacity to deliver housing and particularly as well retrofit homes. Because I think the issue of capacity is a really important one, the construction labour in particular. And I also think that we do face an issue as an island nation as well in terms of our capacity um, and the ability of construction firms to move as they do around Europe, for example, it's limited. It's it's more limited on an island basis. So while we might have access to construction workers coming from abroad, the idea of construction firms, which we did see a certain amount in the Celtic Tiger, but locating and building here is is a big issue. I think um, that hasn't really been considered, and I think that given, you know, you're saying about the education system, you know, my research has shown that a major issue is that because of the financial crash parents don't want their children going working in the construction sector children themselves don't see it as a viable model like people were so scarred you had like 120,000 construction workers forced to emigrate leave the country in those years and i think there's a lack of appreciation of how culturally scarred we are from that crash and therefore that would make the case that well we need to provide at some level here's secure jobs public jobs that would have construction skills and would develop some construction. It's not saying you're going to build everything, but why couldn't we have a public construction company delivering, you know, a thousand units, 2000 units per year and having those skills, having that capacity in the public sector ability to offer some competition to the private sector as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't really got into, you know, obviously looking at the mechanics of whether you're better off getting, you know, We'll say a national uh, construction company, or you, you're better off, you know, if if the local authorities are going in, getting back into the game, are they better off, you know, contracting private developers or private construction com- companies to do, to do that? The basic point that I would make is I I do think, and this is something that they did try, I think, in the UK, I think, under Blair in in the two thousands, was to aggregate up, if you like, from local authorities. So I think they had regional kind of authorities, housing regional authorities, if you like. Uh, and to me, that seemed to be a more uh, uh, practical way of, of of going about it rather than expecting each and every individual local authority to kind of get back into, into construction. Um, I think the one thing, and this came out actually in a discussion, um, and I think it's kind of, uh, it ties into a certain extent of what you're saying. It came in out of the discussion that we had on the day was the need, and you know, you hear it across a whole variety of areas, not just housing, but I do think it is important, a kind of a multi-annual um, approach as far as housing is concerned. Now, to be fair, Housing for All did introduce that to a certain extent, made commitments over a number of years, if you like, uh, rather than just the usual budgetary cycle where you say, well, we'll increase housing expenditure by, you know, this next year or whatever. Um, and I do think that's important that the government would give a kind of a commitment um, you know, outlined fairly explicitly that there is going to be this level of investment in housing, public, social and affordable housing over, you know, a five-year term or if you want to work it in under the, the you know, the auspices of the National Development Plan where it's over a 10-year period. I do think that is important. You know, now the mechanics of how you deliver the housing after that, you know, as I said, that's another uh, kind of discussion to be had. But I certainly do think from a general budgetary perspective, um, you know, the idea of having a multi-annual commitment uh, to providing, you know, or, or, or a cer- providing a certain level of investment, 
I think would be very, very important because it would give certainty around the kind of issues you're talking about, you know, to the local authorities that, yes, national government is going to be involved in this for a period of time. It would give certainty to people who are thinking about careers in the various different trades, whether it's carpenters, plumbers, electricians, etc., to say, okay, well, the government is going to make a commitment over a, quite a sustained medium term rather than just a short term burst. And it would also kind of, you know, just it would it would basically address the fundamental point, which is that adding a certain amount of social and affordable stock uh, to the stock to the national housing stock each year, that's the that's essentially what you want to achieve, rather than like the the opposite to what you had in the seventies and eighties, where you had a reduction in the kind of stock of social and affordable housing. So I think that that kind of commitment, a multi-annual commitment on a budget from a budgetary perspective, I think would be very important. And also you could tie it in then with things like the climate change and the whole issue, as you say, around retrofitting. So again, you would give certainty to people who are maybe thinking about careers or whether it's the various different agents that would be involved in providing it. You would give them certainty that that there will be sustained investment in those particular areas um, going forward. So I, you know, I think that to me that that that's an important issue. Yeah, I, I do. I do think there is an issue though with with how we embed that permanent public capacity. I think there is an issue with with how that has worked through because at the moment, essentially, it's outsourced. Um, and you know, I think it it needs to be a combination of supporting the housing associations as well to develop further. Whether it's as you say, regional, um, uh, regional. You know, local authorities, but I do think, as I said, that national building agency is needed as well. Um, Kieran, just to move on, in terms of the big question, house prices, and uh, wh- what what do you think is going to happen? And do you think there is a housing policy? Should housing policy be trying to reduce house prices? And if so, how could we do it? I think it definitely, you know, we've done a lot of work, uh, you know, as you're probably aware, looking at housing costs uh, in the economy. And there's no doubt in my mind that housing costs are too high, you know, mm. particularly as a proportion of income. And for a particular cohort of people, they've always been very, very high. I mean, that's the something that came out of the research we did where we looked at it from the point of view of Silk, um, the survey on income and living in conditions, and we look back back to the mid two thousands. You can see there's a certain cohort of people are paying very, very a large proportion of their gross income on whether it's house prices or rents in particular. So I think you know, look, housing policy trying to bring down the price of houses is a very difficult thing to do. You know, I mean that's the reality in the sense of in in a perfect world, if you increase supply substantially. Then it should have an, and will have an effect on on house prices and housing costs. There's no doubt about that, and all the research points to that. Problem is that there's so many other variables at play in the economy as well, and those are outside the remit of the control of the state. There's interest rates, for example, which we very little control over. And basically, if the economy is continuing to to perform very strongly, and you're continuing to see strong employment growth, and continuing to see large numbers of people coming to live in Ireland. That is all contributing to housing demand and pushing it up. So I think, sure, the state should aim to reduce housing costs. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Because, you know, I made this point at a seminar recently that uh, if you think about the opportunity cost of the amount of money people are spending on housing, you know, they could be spending it on so many other uh, things in society, which would have huge benefits to, to, to different people. So... Uh, in terms of should the government be looking to reduce housing costs? Yes, I think it should. 
Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to achieve. Um, and, um, particularly in the context of a very strong, powerful economy like the Irish economy at present. I mean, I mean that's just the reality. We're, we're creating lots of new jobs. Um, a lot of those jobs are quite well paid. So therefore that's all driving up, driving the demand for, for, for housing. So it's a difficult thing to bring prices down, you know, but what the state can try and do, um, and this again is something that, you know, a point we've been making for a number of years is that just by providing as, as much social and affordable housing as it can, at least that can provide some, uh, you know, uh, provide some, um, response, if you like, to the, the, the whole issue of, of controlling housing costs in the economy. Uh, in terms of what will happen to house prices, actually, what do I think will happen this year? I mean, I think the reality is the surprising thing is house prices have held up so high in the last year, given the way in which interest rates have really kind of gone up. You know, so interest rates have gone up quite a bit, as anyone paying a mortgage will testify in the last 12 months. Um, as we look forward over the next six to nine months, the reality is as inflation comes down, interest rates are probably going to come down again. So that, you know, unfortunately, if you're looking at it from the point of view of controlling housing costs, means that house prices are probably going to experience more upward pressure, I think, over the next period of time. Um, we do think generally, I mean, just drawing on our kind of overall macro perspective, the economy, you know, had very strong growth in the immediate aftermath of COVID for a number of reasons, particularly, I suppose, because pharma- you know, certain multinational sectors like pharmaceuticals, ICT, performed so strongly. You did see a sizable increase in, in savings levels after COVID, uh, some of which fed into the housing market. There's no doubt about that. Uh, those pressures are kind of easing somewhat. So we're probably looking into a pace, a more moderate pace of growth generally in the economy. Um, and that should help to, you know, calm housing demand, as it were. But, you know, I still think over the next period of time, you are going to see house prices uh, continuing to grow. Um you know, I don't think they're going to grow at, at, at very high rates, but they are going to grow. I don't think you're going to see a downturn in house prices anytime soon. Jesus, that is not good news for um, generation rent and generation stuck at home. Yeah, no, I mean, as I said, I, I think ultimately the government should, you know, it, I, I, it would be better overall for the economy if housing costs were to, to, to start to come down. Um, I, I've no doubt about that because when you look at the pressure that, you know, certain cohorts uh, of the population are under, um, the amount of money they're spending on housing costs is 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 very, very high, whether it's in rents or even people buying houses who are yeah. taking on huge levels of debt as a result. Um, so in an ideal world, we would be able to, to bring those housing costs down. Um, but I just think economic forces and demographic pressures, et cetera, are really mitigating against that, particularly given the fact that the supply side of, of, of the construction sector was so uh, so damaged, as it were, over the last 10, 15 years. I, I think, you know, and I really appreciate you giving your time, and I, I know you don't have, um, you know, you've given a huge amount of time and, the you know, your research is really, really important and, and you know, very interesting. And I think, you know, as you said, the overall message from it around the need to increase supply of social and affordable housing is something that, you know, we need to embed in our policy. But I think that, you know, 
there has to be other ways and there are other ways of ramping up supply, you know, and you mentioned it in the report, the modern methods of construction, you know, fast factory built housing, um, that we are in, in an emergency, social and economic emergency, essentially in housing in Ireland. Like we were, housing is now putting limits on, you know, economic development, you know, social development. I've talked about it. I think it needs to be still talked about much, much more how it is, you know, forcing many young professionals, nurses, guards to emigrate. We're losing, you know, a cohort of that generation who we need. Um, and that question of modern methods of construction, you raise it as well, the issue of vacancy and dereliction. Like we have stock that we could be using. Um, this whole system is still, I feel, sort of operating on a, uh, yeah, we're doing our best. but It's not really an emergency response. It's like almost, you know, we saw an emergency response in COVID. And to me, it's like we're not seeing that in housing. There's not like kind of look, you know, and it means suspending whatever rules and, and not not around, or I think particularly around investment. You know, the government's saying, yes, four billion, we're putting it in. Yes, it's an increase. And yes, it's incremental. And But it's like, you know, we need to go to eight billion. You know, this is, we need to, you know, set up factories. We need to do things, you know, really take back vacancy. And, and like it is, I think that you're, the danger I think is that we're, Everything has been pulled in then by the arguments around Ireland is full and, you know, you have all sorts of negative, you know, feedback from this failure, I think, to treat it as an emergency. And I don't see an emergency policy kind of macro level response to it. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose it's 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 up to the politicians to to to, to argue, uh, you know, against that. If you like, I'm not here to to, to defend, um, you know, the department of the government. You know, they would say, as as you point out, that you know there has been a substantial increase. Um, you know, um, I guess again, the only problem I see with a really ratcheting up the kind of level of investment um even you know and and there's grounds for increasing it for sure on on what it is um the only danger as i said is the issue around uh resources and and constraints and and the danger there is that you know again you you, you would run into the classic problem of by spending more money you're simply bidding up prices whether it's in labor or whether it's in cost of materials etc but certainly, I think you need to look at all the various different avenues. There, you know, there have been measures brought in as far as vacancy is concerned. The, the, the issue very often, and we were talking about the resident, the the property, the zoning kind of taxes there earlier. The problem with some of those measures uh, is when they're brought in, they tend to be brought in at quite a low rate, and it takes the you know the political system a certain amount of time to kind of ratchet them up, if you like, and and, and really start to increase them. So you are running into that. Um. But you know, there's no doubt you need to you need to look at a whole avenue of different responses in, in terms of dealing with the issue. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Kieran, thank you so much, um, and I encourage people to to read. You've lots of research there on housing on the SRI, and you're doing more. I know. Um, so, listen, thanks for giving me the time and coming on Reboot Republic today. Sure, thanks, Rory. And I was uh, Kieran McQuinn there from the ESRI, and as I said, you can check out the research they're doing on the ESRI website. Um, thank you so much to all our listeners for supporting us and continuing to support us. Please, if you can, share the podcast around and um, let people know um, you're listening and share. It is really important, these conversations, as an education, um, as a resource for people to engage in discussions, to think about it and how we can solve not just the housing crisis, but wider social issues as well. So thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon.